Hi, I'm Josh Bennett, lead pastor of Awakened Church, and this is the Wordsmith Podcast, joined with Pastor Matthew Grady Calhoun. Hey, hey. Executive Pastor Jeremy Shane Suggs. Merry Christmas. And we're joined by a special guest today, super fan, Katrina Laurel Searcy. Hello, hello. Glad to have Katrina with us today. Um, been a bright and early morning. I started a men's Bible studies meeting at 6 a.m. on Thursday mornings. So I actually had some people getting here at 5.30, which I thought was interesting, getting here early to a 6 a.m. Bible study. So it made me think, would you rather be 10 minutes late to everything you ever went to or 20 minutes early to everything you ever went to? And I know how some of you are going to answer this question. I'm 20 minutes early, period. Uh 20 minutes would be cutting close for me to be late to something. My anxiety would go up if I was only 20 minutes early. So for me, I mean, I'm usually at least half an hour early everywhere I go, for, you know, generally speaking. So, yeah, yeah I'm definitely going to be early. Obviously, the, the hang-up of this question is you've always got to be 20 minutes early. Yeah. And there's some things you don't want to be early for, period. I think it's I would a general still, statement. yeah, general statement. I still would probably have to go with twenty minutes early. My general approach to thing is if if it's something that is time sensitive, I'm going to be there early. If it's not time sensitive, I have no intentions of being there early. Yeah. I'm probably going to be late, to be honest with you. <laughs> uh, so I, I'm not a, one of these chronic late people. But if it's time sensitive, I'm going to be there early. No well, see, doubt about it. For somebody like me, and it, everything's and, and time I, sensitive. Yeah. In yeah. actuality, it may not be, but in my mind, yeah. it is. Yeah. Right? Yeah. If we're casually going to go do something, go play golf, and like, hey, we'll meet at the church about one. Like, in my mind, if I'm there at 101, I am late. Yeah. Like, really late. Yeah. Right. I don't have that problem at all. <laughs> Everything is time sensitive. <laughs> I will say, if it's a place I'm not familiar with, like, say we're meeting somewhere or something, I want to get there probably an hour early. Yeah. Because just because for anxiety purposes, I need to kind of scope the place out essentially yeah. look at all the quick exits or something uh <laughs> yeah the, the, kind of <laughs> yeah so in a perfect world i mean i would rather be 20 minutes early sure and in in my line of job we always say um if you're early then you're on time mm-hmm. but then if you're on time like you're already late yeah. right sure but i do have a reputation of sliding in there <laughs> just at the right time yeah so so my wife and I, we have completely different perceptions. Because if you tell me, hey, be there at 1 o'clock, in my mind, I'm like, i got to be there by 12.45. My wife, her family, their goal is to be there at 1 o'clock. In fact, right before we got married, uh, my father-in-law's best friend pulled me aside, and he said, you need to know something about this family. He said, when they tell you they're going to be there at 11, they're not going to be there at 10.59, and they're probably not going to be there at 11.01. They're going to do everything they can to get there at 11 on the dot. <laughs> And um, that has honestly helped me in my marriage early on because we had different definitions of what it meant to be somewhere at 11 o'clock. And, uh, but I do, I prefer to be 20 minutes, 30 minutes. And I'd rather be an hour early than a minute late, which is kind of, sure. you know, how it was always taught. I had a grandmother that was like that. She would show up two, three hours early, not a little bit um, to where it was uncomfortably early. In fact, but that's like going to a different event. like Yeah, no, I mean, it is. So when... Um, my when I played high school football, my grandmother would get in the stands before we ever came out to warm up. Oh wow! Like the initial warm ups, sure. and I'm like, I may still be in school, <laughs> you know. Wow. Um, she would get there like four or five o'clock for a seven o'clock game. It's insane, and uh, it was really hard for us when we moved to Arizona because Arizona time is relative. If you say one o'clock, it may be hey show up at one thirty, two o'clock. I went to a wedding that started an hour and a half late. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, I got there at the time the wedding was supposed to start, and I mean, there's nobody ready. There's the chairs aren't set up. Yeah. Uh, we we showed up like that to a birthday party one time. It was about five minutes before the time, and they said, "What are you doing here?" <laughs> well, for the birthday party. Good, you can help us cook. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, best guy I told you I ever worked for, Ed Prather. He he was generally punctual, you know, but there was a lot, there was a a stoplight right in front of his shop, right? And I distinctly remember one, and this happened more than one time. I, we were supposed to go somewhere and do something like for work. I called him because he was late getting me from the shop because we're going in his truck. And I called him. I was like, Ed, where are you at? He said, I'm I'm right here at the light. I'm like, Oh, okay. But he wasn't at the light in front of the shop like you would assume whenever he said, I'm, I'm right here at the light. He was like on the other side of town. So it was like 20 more minutes. He was at a light. Yeah, he was at a. So whenever you asked him where he was at, he said, well, I'm right here at the stop sign. He didn't mean what stop sign. like. And so he, he a lot of times, so that always stuck out in my mind. Uh, but he, he did stuff like that all the time. Yeah. So we're excited to have our guest Katrina with us today, and, yeah. and Katrina's pretty excited. When I asked her to be on the podcast, um, she squealed. Yes. <laughs> um, maybe like a 13-year-old girl. I don't know who the popular musician is this day, so I'm going to say like a 13-year-old girl it's, going to a Justin Bieber concert. I was going to say, it's still Justin Bieber. It's yeah. still Justin Bieber. Wow, that's amazing. But anyway, that's kind of how she squealed, so we were excited to have a guest that is excited to be here with us. Katrina, would you take a few minutes just to introduce yourself to our listeners and kind of tell your faith story and how you became a part of our church and all that stuff? Sure thing, Pastor Joss. Show. So my name is Katrina Searcy, and I am one of the members here at Awaken Church, and I actually volunteer to serve as one of the members of our worship team. So a couple of Sundays throughout the month, I have the pleasure of working with Pastor Matt, as you know, we sing and worship Jesus. Mm-hmm. And a little bit of background story about myself. I am originally from the Philippines. I was born and raised there. And I moved to America in 2015, so I've only been here about six years now, and I lived in a very modest upbringing in a third world country, you know, halfway across the globe, in a predominantly Catholic country. So I grew up Catholic. I was baptized when I was a baby. I had my first communion in third grade, confirmation in sixth grade, I think. And I guess in, you know, the Christian world, when someone asked me, when did I get saved, it's not as vivid as, you know, Pastor Josh's recollection. Because sure, yeah. I, I, rem- I know that you remember the date, right, yeah. that you got saved. With me, it's it's not similar because I've always known that, you know, I believe in Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, like, I had no doubt that, you know, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. But I do remember when I was a freshman in college, we had a almost like a Bible retreat mm-hmm. a weekend retreat similar to fuge camp mm-hmm. which um by the way i was the adult chaperone <laughs> for our um youth ministry this right. past summer yeah. during, i was gonna bring that up if you didn't yes <laughs> during our summer retreat so similar to that it was a weekend bible study and i just remember everybody you know gathering around me and we were reading the bible and i was crying because it was then that i realized you know i am a sinner and i really want to give my life to jesus so if someone asked me when did you get saved it was freshman year college oh. fast forward to today you know i moved to america and met my then boyfriend now husband Jonathan Searcy and you know he's a big Christian really loves the Lord and he knows the Bible very well Mm -hmm. and I don't know if I can make this generalization maybe it's just (laughs) me and the people around me but reading the Bible wasn't really our strongest suit 
Mm-hmm. Like we read the Bible because um, I grew up in a Catholic school. So yeah. we had a religion as a subject. Sure. So we would read it because there's an assignment, but not because, mm-hmm. you know, we wanted to be cr- closer to Jesus. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing that Jonathan, Jonathan taught me. Right. And um, that's it. That's That's my story. She's sticking to it. <laughs> Katrina, tell us a little bit about your morning routine because we've made some references to that on the podcast yes. over the last couple of years. So tell I, us a little bit about it. I saved that, like when y'all mentioned it. <laughs> so yeah. I wake up at 4 a.m. on weekdays because I want to have some alone time. And, you know, it's not just for my mental well-being. And it's also written in the Bible, you know, when they wanted mm-hmm. to be with Jesus or talk, talk to God. Like mm-hmm. they woke up early and they went and prayed by themselves. And that's right. basically what I'm doing. I wake up at four so I can have a cup of coffee and meditate and just pray and read the Bible. And then at about 5 a.m., so after an hour of just praying mm-hmm. and journaling and reading the Bible, I would go to the gym for another hour. And then at 6 a.m., I would go to heated power yoga. Yeah. And then I'd get ready ready for work. And somehow by... 10 a.m. here, she's still smiling and bright-eyed. Yes. <laughs> uh, my question, what time do you go to bed? I mean 10 p.m. So 9, 9.30. That's 30. my average for me. I think I normally go to bed about yeah, 9.30 me, or yes. 10. Yeah, me too, but like I don't that. get up at 4. No. <laughs> I, I get up at 5.30. If, I, went, if I got up at 4, I'd have to go to bed at like 8.30. I'm terrible at math. That's six hours, right? Yeah. Is it really? If you, if you go to bed at yeah. 10, and that's late for you. Yes, if you go to bed at 10, you get up at 4, that's six hours. Yeah. That's not bad sleep, though. Because, no. I mean, the average American doesn't get that much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, yeah, you always hear people say sleep. 8 to 7, mm-hmm. but it really goes down to 6. Yeah. yeah. And the older you get, you want to get below the less you six. need, actually. Because I, I was reading something not long ago, and, then, and I forget a really high percentage of Americans only get like four hours of sleep mm-hmm. a night on average. Yeah, and I'm like, sure, yeah. I couldn't function on four hours of sleep uh, yeah. a night. There's no way. Well, and Americans in general don't get good sleep now because we have so many electronics around yeah. us and lights and noises and a multitude of issues. Now, Katrina, you said you get up at four. On weekdays. On weekdays. That's right. To spend time alone and read your Bible. Yes. But I know for a fact you're not alone because you're cats. I'm with my cats. That's correct. <laughs> I do take my time and sip my coffee and cuddle with my cats in the morning <laughs> because they know that I wake up at 4 uh-huh. so sometimes they're mean they wake me up at like 3:48 sure. oh, wow. and like a few more minutes cuz <laughs> I feed them wet food in the morning at 4 and yeah. then they would eat and then yeah. they'll sit with me as I sip my coffee read my bible oh bless her couple interesting facts about Katrina she was raised on an island but doesn't yes. know how to swim in the ocean <laughs> I knew you were going to bring that up. And when she goes to teen camp as a chaperone, you cannot tell her apart from the children. <laughs> I'll but take that as a compliment. <laughs> Some yes. people have trouble yes. telling you apart. <laughs> so, no, nah, Katrina, we're excited to have you with us um, this week. Let's dive Thank in. You. We're going to read um, 1 Kings chapter 19, verses 1 through 19. Ahab told Jezebel everything that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, May the gods punish me and do so severely if I don't make your life like the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then Elijah became afraid and immediately ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba that belonged to Judah, he left his servant there. But he went on a day's journey into the wilderness and he sat down under a broom tree and he prayed that he might die. He said, I have had enough, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Then he lay down and he slept under the broom tree. Suddenly an angel touched him. The angel told him, Get up and eat. Then he looked, and there was at his head was a loaf of bread, baked with hot stones and a jug of water. 
So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord returned for a second time and touched him. He said, Get up and eat, or the journey will be too much for you. So he got up, ate, and drank. Then on the strength from the food, he walked forty days and forty nights to Horeb, the mountain of God. He entered a cave there and spent the night. Suddenly the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He replied, I have been very zealous for the Lord God of armies, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are looking for me to take my life. Then he said, Go out and stand on the mountain of the Lord's presence. For that moment the Lord passed by. A great and mighty wind was tearing at the mountains and was shattering cliffs before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake there was a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire there was a voice, a soft whisper. When Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in the mantle and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. Suddenly a voice came to him and said, What are you doing here, Elijah? I have been very zealous for the Lord God of armies, he replied. But the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are looking to take, for me to take my life. Then the Lord said to him, Go and return by the way you came to the wilderness of Damascus. When you arrive, you are anoint, to anoint Hazel, as king over Aram. You are to anoint Jehu, son of Nimshi, as king over Israel, and Elisha, son of Shephat, from Abel-Meholah, as prophet in your place. Then Jehu will put you put to death whoever escapes the sword of Hazel, and Elisha will put to death whoever escapes the sword of Jehu. But I will leave 7,000 in Israel, every knee that has not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. Elijah left there, and found Elisha, son of Shephat, as he was plowing. Twelve teams of oxen were in front of him, and he was with the twelfth team. Elijah walked to him and threw his mantle over him. So we get into an interesting part of the story here. Just for a quick recap, this all starts when Elijah confronts Ahab. We say he goes to the brook chariot, spends time there. He goes and sees the widow at um, Zarephath. Widow's son dies. He raises the widow's son from the dead. He goes back, um, confronts Ahab again. They have the great um, showdown on Mount Carmel, um, very climatic moment. And then the next week, or we looked at the fact that he went up, prayed on the mountain for the rain to come. The rain had come. And then that's where we pick up this story. And in this passage, uh, we see the very human side of Elijah. As, as we dive through um, chapter 19 here, we're going to see his flaws, his emotional struggles that he's dealing with. And so I want to kind of start off by asking this. Why is it important, and maybe even better term, is helpful that we see the humanity and the weakness of these great heroes of the faith? Like, the Bible doesn't hide that from us. And so why is that important? I think first, the best place to begin is the fact that it's true. Right? If you remember from our first season, we did Philippians, and we talked about that passage there, I believe chapter 4, where there's that list of whatever is lovely, whatever is pure, whatever mm-hmm. is noble. And it's these different lists of qualities of things we're supposed to uh, meditate on and focus on. That list starts with whatever is true. Right. If something is true, it is inherently helpful. There's some value to it. It's not necessarily good. It's not necessarily something you want to dwell on in the sense of um, spending a significant amount of time and energy on. But if something is true... It has some value to it somewhere. So even if we didn't have any other practical reasons, and I'm sure we're about to get into some more practical reasons in a moment, if something is true, 
there is something that we can learn about either ourselves, the world we live in, or even about God from, if it is true. So that's kind of where you begin. And then also, I think we also talk about all the time on this podcast, um, probably, we definitely mention in every season, we've already mentioned this season, these are actual people, and it's helpful mm-hmm. to remember that. These are real life people who struggle with sin, who were not perfect, who had some of the same flaws. We want to honor them. We want to uh, learn from their example, but we want to learn from both their positive example and their negative examples. Mm-hmm. Sure, and coming from like an apologetic bent, Truth can't be understated. So it, it tells me whenever we see the good, the bad, the ugly written out in narrative form in the Word of God, it tells me it has to be true because if you were just going to make a story up, why do you put things in there that make you look weak or bad or, you know, think, like if you're if you're David, you know, and why wouldn't you just trash anything that was bad about you sure. or, or in this, like uh, Elijah uh, broke down and... Um, like, God, I'm the only one left on earth that's still serving you. You know, why Why would you put these moments in there if they weren't true? Like, nobody makes up a story like that. Um, like, if you were the disciples, why would you um, tell the story of how you ran and hid when things got really hard for right. you to still follow Jesus? Like, you wouldn't put that in there unless it was true because it makes mm-hmm. you look pretty bad. Right. And so... Things like this, the the good, the bad, the ugly, where, where we succeed and where we fail, it um, where it brings a humanity to the narrative, of course, and we're able to identify. But I, I think it brings it brings validity to, hey, this is some this is a this you could trust this mm-hmm. yeah. uh, because it is true. So I mean that's how I look at it whenever I look at things um, like this, and I you know I get the whole we want to be able to identify with. Um, people of scripture like hey they were people just like us and they have flaws and we want to be able to identify so that they don't just seem like something that we couldn't attain that that sort of faith right um but but for me it's just it tells me that things are true because they don't make you look so great you know yeah I like that Pastor Shane, you know, men- mentioned the relatability. Like, mm-hmm. to me, that's what it is. Like, if I can relate to it, like I see the humanity in it then I can really dig deep into the Word. And another thing is it brings me hope. If someone like Elijah who had flaws, who had weaknesses, who got scared, can still be used by God, then someone like me, who is a sinner, I can still be used by God. Mm, So it it gives me hope. And ultimately, it paints a complete gospel picture. Uh, One of the foundational elements of the gospel is that we are broken, sinful people. And these stories and, and these examples of these men in the Old Testament and the New Testament showing their weakness presents that, that we are broken. So even the heroes, even the best among us mm-hmm. are broken and simple people. And one of the things I love, it doesn't just mention their sin. It doesn't just mention their brokenness. In many ways, the scriptures highlight it. Um, you know, this is a, a, it doesn't just say, hey, Elijah struggled. We, you know, we have a chapter here where we walk through his struggles. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, it doesn't just say, hey, David sinned and had an affair. There was the affair, there was the consequences, there's Psalm 51, which is his repentance. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in many ways, the, the scriptures point to that brokenness because it's a foundational element of the gospel. And if all of our heroes in the Old Testament were perfect, we'd go, well, why do we need Jesus? Yeah, and, and in every single narrative, there's always like a glimpse of redemption Yeah, absolutely. In, in, in every single one, and you can't get away from that either, like... Like God was able to redeem their failures and their flaws and where right. they came up short. And even through their sins, he's able to redeem everything. And 
And in fact, even today is still redeeming the world and his people mm-hmm. unto himself. Right. That's right. Yeah, and I mean, that's the hope that Katrina mentioned. The, and again, points us towards the gospel hope that is in Jesus Christ. Man, it's good stuff. And this passage, it gets going, Jezebel threatens Elijah. And you know, it's interesting. I've been kind of talking about this a few places just to see. Nobody knows who Ahab is. But when you mention Jezebel, everybody, oh, 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 Jezebel. She has a bad reputation. Yes. And she rears up here, and she threatens Elijah. She says, look, may I die if I don't make you like all the prophets of Baal that you just slaughtered. Mm -hmm. How does Elijah respond to this threat? Well, first he was very afraid, and then he quickly ran. And then ultimately he just wanted to die. He he asked the Lord, like, hey, I just want this to end. Mm -hmm. And we know he was a fast runner, so... Yes. Elijah was not thinking clearly um, at this time. And, and as we'll talk about in a few minutes why that wasn't taking place. But he wasn't thinking about where these threats were coming from. How could a little perspective about these threats have helped Elijah? Well, I think perspective helps everybody in every situation. If we would have a, a more broad or, you know, a better perspective or, or you know, however you want to word it. But, I mean, he could have he could have seen, okay, look, like, like God is taking care of me and and this didn't catch God off off guard, you know, it didn't catch him by surprise. I mean, he could have had those perspectives, but and it's here's the deal. It's easy to to see the perspective in somebody else's story. Mm-hmm. But many times when it's our story and we're living it, see Elijah is living it. He's not reading it. He's yeah. he hasn't had time to reflect. I mean, he's in his mind, he's running for his life. Sure. And yeah. so a lot of that, it's hard to reflect and find perspective. Now, after he stops and God gives him rest and food and water, he, he regains his perspective. Right. Um, but, uh, I mean, it's hard to have perspective when you're living your own stories. Uh, Matt has said it several times. You know, he can see the hand of God generally in the rearview mirror. Mm. I may not word it exactly like he does, but it's, it's hard to see it sometimes in the moment. And right. I, I think that perspective is the same for Elijah. It's, it's kind of hard to see that perspective when you feel like you're running for your life. Mm, you know? yeah. Did any of you guys ever talk to movies? Yes. Okay. I, I knew you were going to say yes to that. Um, this is one of those moments I'm reading this, and you're like, you idiot. Like, God just defeated the prophets of Baal on the mountain, and now you're scared of this woman. But like you said, in real life, we do that kind of stuff all the time. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And... It's helpful, and, and God does take Elijah through a process here that gets him back to perspective. But Elijah did some things he maybe shouldn't have. He withdrew, and it's, it makes an even point here that he withdrew from his servant. And, and that's important because even when Elijah went up on the mountain alone to pray, he wasn't alone. As mm-hmm. you know, we said cat wasn't alone with her cats in the morning. Yeah. Elijah wasn't alone on the mountain because he kept sending a servant to look for rain. But here, he leaves his servant alone. He withdraws into complete isolation so why is it a bad idea when we're going through these difficulties and these struggles and we we all can have a tendency to do this why is it a bad idea to separate ourselves into isolation i'm not a very enthusiastic optimist glass half full yeah i'm I'm more of the glass half half empty type of guy uh, I mean, and we like to say we're just realists, you know, we're not really glass half Everybody, I was talking to Sawyer yeah, about this the I, other I, day. Exactly. Now, I think Sawyer is because he was talking about the glass half full and half empty. He said, what well, depends. Are you filling the glass up or have you already started drinking out of it? And I was like, okay, that's a realist answer. But I'm probably not smart, Sawyer. So um, just being alone with uh, sure. a 
pessimistic thoughts and, and negativity. I mean, everybody always, and I mean, this is generally true about all people, no matter whether mm-hmm. you're upbeat or um, more introverted anyway. Um, you always think your situation is way worse than what it actually is if you were to gain perspective. So if you isolate yourself, you don't have that. All you have is your perspective. You don't have anybody else's perspective and say, hey, well, you know what? Have you thought about this or, or something along mm-hmm. uh, those lines? And sometimes, look, we just sometimes we just want to pout. Like I want to separate myself from everybody because yeah. I want to feel yeah. sorry for yeah. myself for a little have while. Have a pity you know? party. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think – and I. Now, I'm not saying that's good, but I'm saying that's that's mm-hmm. natural. I think people, in, you know, do that a lot. So we see in the creation account this idea that one of the things um, God created us for was for community. We we don't need. It's not good for man to be alone, right? And the immediate context of that and the immediate application is marriage. But that, as we New Testament makes clear, that really applies beyond just marriage. Sure, it's really mm-hmm. just that sense of community. Uh, you need other people in your life. So when we have that absence, it just opens the door for there's not a stop on those negative thoughts. Because everybody's going to have negative thoughts. There's no way around that. You can't, if you shut them out completely, you're they're going to stay inside you for a while and then they're all going to come out at the worst possible time. There's a healthy expressing of frustration and doubt and things. Uh, we've mentioned this on the podcast before. But as Pastor Shane just said, Sometimes that healthy expression can very quickly become, well, no, I just want to throw a pity party and I just want yeah. to dwell on this because I just, I'm so upset about this. I don't know what to do. And when I was reading over this the other day, I thought of, I love the Proverbs. I've mentioned that before. I read through the Proverbs at least once a year, t- most of the time, twice. I think one time, even three times a year, but I'm pretty sure I did that by accident. Proverbs 17, 17 is a friend loves at all times and a brother is born for adversity. We need somebody else in our lives in those, sure. particularly mm-hmm. at what we're seeing here in these really difficult moments, right? When right. Elijah clearly doesn't know what to do, and he is very much stressed because his life is on the line, as uh, Jezebel made clear. Yeah. Those moments are why we need people in our lives, why right. we need community, yeah, why we need a, a brother to be with us. She yeah. had a pretty bad reputation, too. I mean, you know, yeah. Jezebel, I mean, her yeah, reputation they, was very well not, documented and known. And, not an empty threat. Yeah. Right, yeah. exactly, exactly. But, I mean, sometimes it helps you to vent, be able to vent sure. to somebody, you know. Absolutely. Um, just kind of. Look, I don't want you to fix this. I just want to get it off my chest. You know, those, right. those sort of things. But it's harder to, like, if I vent, let's say I vent to Josh. Josh is receiving that. Okay? I can get it off my chest. But if Josh isn't there and I'm just venting, it's, it's kind of like it's going back Coming into back. my mind. Right. And I'm, I'm not really getting rid of it. Um, uh, I just Sometimes you just want to be heard. I think it's important to notice here that Elijah didn't withdraw to pray. You know, Katrina mentioned in her introduction that the Gospels, you know, Jesus would get along and mm-hmm. pray. He wasn't getting along for a healthy time. I mean, he was withdrawn, as we've said, to pout, to, to have a pity party. And one of the things I think for me, and I believe probably true for most believers, is when I get it, go through a season where I'm withdrawing from friends or other people, I'm, I'm isolating myself, maybe even emotionally or, you know, um, just even conversationally and things, that's a check engine light. Like something's going on up under the hood sure. that needs attention. And so I think it's dangerous for us if we allow ourselves to keep withdrawing. Because the gospel doesn't call us to separation. It calls us to community. Mm-hmm. And it calls us to come together. And so, you know, even if you're a listener and, and you notice in a season of your life that you're withdrawing from everybody around you, 
then let that be a check engine light to say, hey, God, what's going on here? You know, what, yeah, even what if you do can't need quite to put on? your finger on it in the moment, you know that there's something there. You just and um, and we all go through seasons. Some of us, you know, Pastor Shane's an introvert, right? Yeah, so I, so in in some ways, you need isolation to recharge. Right, twenty two percent. Twenty two percent. If you start the introverted extroverted uh, spectrum at zero, and you go one way or the other, I'm twenty two percent towards the introverted side. Right. At least all the tests that I do, that's... I'm, I'm I was going to ask, like, is that an actual test or was, yeah, is no, that yeah, an yeah, estimate? Yeah. It was actually a, a, a test they actually, uh, well, they run us through several tests before we go to plant a church. And that's one of the tests they, I, I forget the, they go, they do the DIST test and the... Yeah. I think the, the proper term would be assessment. Yeah, assessment. That's yeah. right. Um, we go through assessment and, and during that assessment, you kind of... Um, start at zero and then as you answer questions and the questions don't seem connected but at the end they are and they go one way or the other and I, anyway i go 22 yeah. percent too well and for me i i can be on the extroverted side but also and i think i've mentioned this before but it, a lot of it has to do with being an only child i need that a long time to recharge so we're not saying never be alone yeah no. be scared of being alone but when you are in a place where you're withdrawing yourself into isolation to pout or have pity parties then you're heading in towards a, a dark place. Elijah was suffering from the despair of victory. I'm going to read that again because that's an interesting statement. Elijah was suffering from the despair of victory. How does great success make us vulnerable to discouragement and despair? I mean, he's coming off this mountaintop peak experience. Because there's only God. one way to go. I mean, when you're at the highest of high, you can't go anywhere but down to kind of use a football analogy. You know, when you're Alabama, you're, you're right there at the top year after year. After, the only way you can go is down. You can't get any better than, you know, normal. Sure. So I, uh, maybe some of that is kind of emotionally is what he's going through. Like you're on the highest of highs. So wherever you wind up in the next season has to be lower than that. Now you don't have to take it too low, but I mean, you, you're going to be lower at some, at some point, you know. This may be, very off topic but immediately what jumped in my head do y'all know imposter syndrome no uh vaguely vaguely all right so i'm gonna read like the actual definition of it so imposter syndrome is a psychological pattern in which an individual doubts their skills talents or accomplishments and has a persistent internalized fear of being exposed as a fraud so maybe elijah and this is just me speculating mm -hmm fears that you know his victory wasn't really a valid victory sure. yeah. in that he's going to fail this time and i think where he failed is that he was thinking about himself like oh no i'm not going to be able to defeat her whereas he should she should have focused on god mm -hmm. rather than right. himself you know he was in survival mode so i felt like maybe that came into play no i think absolutely i, I think it's a good observation because i do think and again, this is some degree of speculation. I want to be clear because um, we don't want to lose sight. Sometimes we can over-spiritualize passages. I mean, he was literally on the run again. <laughs> yeah. We don't want to lose sight of the fact like his life's on the line here. But I, I do think I'm willing to bet. I know when I, I fall to the lie of arrival that I finally arrived somewhere. So once I've gotten to that mountaintop, sure. I, and I'm willing to bet everybody who's listening, you convince yourself you lie to yourself and be like, it's always going to be like this. I'm finally there. I've yeah. arrived. Wherever there is at. Yeah. Yes. But you don't. <laughs> That's just not how life works. Life mm -hmm. is. It's mountaintops. It's valleys. It's pastures. It's everything in between. 
so I think he's had this this massive victory, but then the main person, the person who brought Baal worship to Israel and implemented it in their worship, she's still there. And I think he sees that. He realizes he's on the run again. He, yeah. he just spent three and a half years, roughly, uh, on the run. And now he's back to where he was, and I think it just all kind of craters from there. Yeah. I think that's what we're seeing here. Sure. Well, and part of what happens is you have these really emotional highs. And and in that, you kind of get emotionally spent. Like, you prepare for the battle, you mm-hmm. get worked up. And in many ways, you empty the gas tank. Sure, sure. And, and it makes you more vulnerable. Great success oftentimes can be a precursor for failure. And um, the Scripture even talk about this. Ye who stand, take heed, lest you fall. You know, those kinds of things that... These moments of success will lead you tired and emotionally spent. And so how do these conditions open us up to other battles? And one of the comparisons that comes to my mind is hiking. How many of you guys, you guys hike? Yes. Mm-hmm. Katrina likes hiking. You guys went out west and hiked recently, we right? We did. And um, we went to Yosemite, and we're about to go to the Grand Canyon. Oh, yes. That's in right. In three weeks. Um, Pastor Matt, you walk or hike? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I know sometimes when Pastor Shane calls it hiking, you... Get we're stretching the definition of hiking a little bit, yeah. Okay. So when I moved to Arizona, hiking's huge out there. And when I say hiking, we're talking not climbing mountains, but walking up mountains mm-hmm. kind of thing. And when we first started, we got two really big pieces of advice. One, and I think both of these are applicable to this, one was it was called the, the point of no return. In other words, when you go hiking, when you reach half of your water, when you when you are half empty, it doesn't matter where you're at, you, you turn around to your because you can get in a lot of trouble with dehydration in the desert and all those things. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that would be relatable here that when you're spent, you're spent. You need to make sure you reserve that. But then the second thing was, they probably didn't word it this way, but it was basically be careful of the end point. Because you get to whatever point, like we hiked, my first hike was to a place called Romero Pools. And man, we would hike like four miles up into the mountains. It was beautiful. We get there and there's these waterfalls and it's just this really beautiful thing. And you're kind of on this emotional. Hi, like, man, very few people get to see this because you got to put a lot of work in to get here. And the warning was, be careful coming back because that's when people get injured on hikes. They they feel like the hike's almost over. You're, mm-hmm. You feel too good coming back. You get a little fast coming down switchbacks, those kinds of things. And they said that's almost always when people twist an ankle, break an ankle, fall, scratch themselves up, all those kinds of things. And I think there's a lot of application there that, you know, when you get to the peak, and you start to come down, that you, you have to actually put up some more safeguards there to protect yourself from that. Well, I love how God responds um, to Elijah here. First, he went in, and, and we'll look at these verses. So picking up in verse 5, it says, Then he lay down and slept under the broom tree. Suddenly an angel touched him, and the angel told him, Get up and eat. And then he looked, and there at his head was a loaf of bread baked with hot stones and a jug of water. So he ate and drank and lay down again. Then the angel of the Lord returned for a second time, touched him, said, get up and eat, or the journey will be too much for you. So he got up, ate, and drank. And then on the strength from that food, he walked for 40 days and 40 nights. First thing he did, and I think it's important, he allowed Elijah time to rest and refresh. Mm -hmm. How crucial is rest and refreshment in times of discouragement and in times following success? And how do we truly get that? How do we learn to rest well? Well, the first sign we know rest is really important is because God literally designed it in the creation. Yes. <laughs> he gave us a whole day uh, that we in Western society, we now recognize as Sunday. 
uh, it's a day of rest. So that's one out of one seventh of um, a week is supposed to be given to resting. And I, I think there's wisdom in that, in reminding that. We don't have to do, go to the extreme Orthodox Jews to where we don't even flip at light switches. I'm, I'm not suggesting that by any means. But yeah, rest is a very important thing because we are finite, whereas God is infinite. And even God chooses to rest. Even Jesus in his time chooses to rest, who is perfect in every single way. How much more do we need to be mindful of our own rest and our our own um, energy levels, so to speak, as we are living in this world and, and dealing with the sin in our hearts and the sin around us? And I think it's important to note that, you know, rest and refreshment isn't just important during times of discouragement, but, you know, all throughout our lives as well. Mm-hmm. Like even for your families, you know, even for our church, our jobs, if you are not well-rested, you cannot show, cannot show up as your best self for everybody. And people around you notice that. Oh, absolutely. So how do we learn to rest well? Because Elijah took a nap here. And some of you listening, this is your excuse. Elijah needed a nap. He took one. It was good right. for him. Sometimes Amen. you need a nap. Amen. But if we just lay around on the couch and sleep all the time, that's not necessarily healthy rest like what what are some tips let's get practical here what are some ways we can learn to rest well schedule it yes Um, and i say that as someone who doesn't schedule very much rest uh very much downtime um because rest does help you bring balance to your family Mm -hmm. to your occupation whatever it may be as katrina said you're kind of showing your best self you're 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 firing on all cylinders if if you are able to rest from time to time so Sometimes you have to schedule things like that. Yeah. You schedule what's important to you. Sure. Yeah. You put it down on the calendar. If it matters to you, you're going to put it down. You're going to find time for but it. But it like and and just maybe you were raised very similar to how I was raised. Never resting and always going some is somehow noble. It's something badge to of be, honor. Yeah, yeah, something like that, something to be looked up to like man, they're just always going, always going, always going. And so it, you're not only having to fight against, you know, physical fatigue, but but in in your mind you hear your your mama or your uncle or whoever mm-hmm. you know you got or that just from. society in general, right? Yeah. Exactly, They're saying man, you're being lazy, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, you kind of have to fight against that. I'm, and, and maybe not everybody's like that, but that's kind of how I was raised and and the culture that I was raised in is that it was not outwardly, but it was kind of looked down on, you know, to, to yeah. rest at least too much. Well, and I think it's important to schedule. It's important to have a Sabbath. If I'm being honest, Sundays are not very restful for me. Sure. Um, and I'm sure probably mm-hmm. likewise for you too. And Katrina, hopefully it's a little more restful for you. But um, I have to schedule some times where I go, okay. Mm-hmm. And usually for me, it's Friday morning, sometimes Saturday, but some time to go, hey, this is my rest time. Like mm-hmm. I need to refresh. Another thing I think is important, and this gets lost a lot of times, but you have to work to rest. In other words, if all you ever do is rest, you don't ever really get any rest. you got to do something to get tired enough to rest from, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and so I think a, a healthy dose, and, and they say that the people who work out and have great ex, Katrina probably gets up well because she goes all day and then sleeps well because she's ran well. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's important to actually take that because you can get in a spirit of resting all the time that actually leads to depression. And I think there's so many ways to go about these questions, you know, applicable ways on how you really find rest. But one thing that stands out in my mind is finding rest in Jesus. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. You know, you need to just pause and just give it all to God. Mm -hmm. Because I know that our minds are always running 
at I don't know how many miles per hour, constantly yeah. worrying and you know mm. finding rest in Him, knowing in his that word. yes, in His Word, knowing that He's already claimed the victory. That's one good way to rest. Yeah, I think Solomon said that even in even at night, my soul finds no rest. Yeah, um, because we stay revved up all the time. Uh, yeah. you know, mentally, emotionally, um, and sometimes that, that's why they say like when we had that um parenting conference, you know, yeah. a couple of years ago or so. Well, maybe four, three years ago now. But um, he, he said, you know, suggesting turning all screens off an hour before you're going to, if you want the best rest, turn them off about an hour as a general yeah. before you go to bed mm-hmm. because it takes your mind that long to shut down from whatever you last saw on the screen. But I can't tell you how many people I know um, that – Sometimes we fall asleep with the screens on, yeah, you know. Sure. Uh, and, and now I sometimes fall asleep with the TV in the background, and I know that's not any better. I'm not actually focused on the TV. Yeah. Uh, but and I don't it's do just it that very, white noise. Yeah, I, I don't do it very often. Um, but every once in a while, I mean, that don't happen to me. But mm-hmm. um, the, t- they say to find the best rest, you gotta, you know, you gotta cut out all distractions about an hour before bed. So. Yeah. All right. So we, we've discussed scheduling it. We've discussed working to the point where you need to rest, uh, work to rest, so to speak. And then thirdly, unplugging, getting away from things. I think another one in in order to kind of rest well is that you are a whole person. So you have to remember you are a mind, you're a heart, and you're a body. Mm -hmm. And so I've said it before, and I'll say it many times again. Sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. Like uh, I, people laugh when I say, it, but I, I'm being quite serious. Sometimes, like literally, just taking a nap. Uh, you can't run 24/7 all the time, and you have to take care of your own body. And we've already kind of hit on this a little bit. With uh, Katrina works out regularly. All three of us try to work out regularly. I think we're all kind of in a weird season does. right now. Yeah. I work out regular. Yeah, yeah. Shane does. does. Yeah, right. um, I normally do. I'm kind of in a weird lull season over the last month or so. So not as regular or what have you, but those happen from time to time. But yeah, you need to you need to actually take care of yourself. That's part of resting well. I really I read something and I don't want to get deep into it because yeah, we would just talk or I would y'all wouldn't talk. I would talk for thirty minutes about it. But I, I read a psychologist recently who was talking about the difference between uh, psyche, which is the Greek word for mind, and nephesh, which is the Hebrew word uh, that's often translated as soul, but it's actually more of a physical thing. It's like the wind in your actual uh, pipes or what have you. And and basically it's this idea that his big argument is that modern psychology has embraced the idea of mind. If you get your mind right, everything else will flow. Whereas we see in Hebraic uh, scripture, like the Old Testament we're reading right now, it's like, well, no, it's like you have to take care of your thoughts, but you also have to take care of your physical self. And he wrote this long paper about it. In his paper, one of his central arguments, one of the central passages he's looking at, is this passage. Yeah. Where the angel literally tells him, like, no, get up and eat a little bit and then rest for more. Like, you actually have to take care of yourself physically. So that's that's exercises as good as it can be and uh, eating well. These things, we don't want to dwell on them. We don't want to make them commandments. We don't want to make laws where God has not made laws. But taking care of yourself physically is part of resting well. I'm not going to lie. I got excited when I read through that passage. Mm -hmm. I was thinking, I wish all of the problems, uh, that would be the solution. (laughs) Just eat and take Take a nap. nap. Yeah. Yeah. 
And so some of you listening today, maybe you just need that advice. Yeah, maybe you need a lot, a, of, a lot of carbs and, and sleep. <laughs> a few carbs. Carb I, mean, a lot. I don't know. It's a whole cake of bread. It, that's, a lot, that's a lot of carbs. We uh, don't know. Oh, well, that's true. It could have been like the Ezekiel that's bread, right. you know. So it's not, yeah. not a lot of carbs in that. After he allows Elijah to rest, God spoke wisely to Elijah. He could have come in. He could have rushed in and been like, what were you doing? What are you thinking? I can't believe that you don't trust me. We were just victorious. But instead, he, he reproaches him with grace. And um, he comes to him in a softness that I couldn't help but think of the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. You know, they've sinned. They've broken all of creation mm. with their sin. And God steps into the garden and says, where are you? Yeah. Not, I can't believe you. I mean, I'm thinking if my kids broke my entire world, you know, say I walked up and they burnt the house down or, you know, whatever. Like, what have you done? But instead, God doesn't come in that way. He comes in with a heart of grace and it shows us God's response. Mm -hmm. And so many times, you know, we have this fear of God when we failed and this fear of God when we've messed up. And Elijah here, I mean, he's messed up. I mean, he has ran out of fear instead of facing what God has called him to. And God responds with a heart of grace Elijah, where are you? And, and let's look at what we can do to get you where um, you need to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the thing. Shame will often stop us from actually repenting and stop us from actually changing what we're doing. Shame will keep us where we're at. So then the problem only festers more and more and more. Shame and guilt. Yes. God never uses guilt-based parenting. <laughs> okay. There's a little subtle thing that happens here um, next. And it says, suddenly the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And, and that's that moment, like, where are you? Mm-hmm. Um, God comes in, in grace. He says, he replied, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of armies, but the Israelites have abandoned your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they are looking for me to take my life. Then he said, go out and stand on the mountain of the Lord's presence. He pulls Elijah out of the cave. Why is this important? This may not be the answer, but um, I was thinking, you know, sometimes when, when we are in tough times or seasons of trouble, the best way to do is to step away from it. And then you'll have a better perspective of how to solve certain problems, or maybe you'll be able to think clearer and hear other people's advice better when you're far removed from that dark place. Yeah, well, and he's also, that's absolutely part of it. And he's in this cave, and the cave is almost, not trying to over-spiritualize this pastor, but it's almost this cave of disparity. And in many ways, this cave represented his his own little pity party, and God pulls him out and brings him out into the light and and, and begins to speak to him um, about this. And, and Elijah, at this point, he's believing a lot of lies. Um, he believes he's the only one left. And... and he believes that nobody else is standing up, but later on we see, no, there's actually thousands that haven't mm-hmm. bowed down to Baal. No, he's not the only one. And um, he comes out, gets a breath of fresh air, gets some perspective, and then God speaks to Elijah. And there's this moment where, Pastor Shane, you've brought reference to this before, where there's wind and there's a hurric- an earthquake and all these things. But how did God actually speak to Elijah? Well, he spoke to him through a still, small voice. Um, We often, if we're being honest, when we think of God speaking to us, we think of a big, booming Booming. voice um, from heaven. It's going to be very loud, very strong, very masculine, all those things. But 
I think one of the the keys of why God spoke in a still, small voice, we, we would call it a whisper. When you're close to somebody, you don't have to speak very loud. You can speak yeah. in a whisper. Mm-hmm. But if somebody was on the other side of a football field, you would have to yell you know, at them for them to be able to hear you. And so I think there's some of that maybe playing out in this narrative, like, hey, God's right there next to you. So he, can, he doesn't have to speak in this big booming voice, something that, this very noticeable, very big, very boisterous. He doesn't have to do that because he's really close to you. And right. I think that helps us. We, sh- we should remember that um, from time to time that um, God can speak in a still, small voice when we're close to him. And he clears up this lie for Elijah, that Elijah is not alone. He, he, he makes it clear, look, there's, there's thousands that have not bowed down. They believe in um, me, and they, they've been faithful. And so he sends him back. And then he does something I love. He gave Elijah a friend, and this we looked earlier how Elijah withdrew himself, and God gives him a friend, a, a protege, and, and we've mentioned Elisha, Elisha. before, uh, and sometimes it can sound like we're mixing those two up, but he goes to Elijah, and um, the, this passage actually ends with him putting his um, mantle on Elisha, and they begin in a way, even though he's a protege, going to be a protege to Elijah, he ministers back to Elijah. Why is it so important to have those spiritual friends that can help us through some of the darkest times in our lives. This is maybe not the best way of saying it, but I'm going to try it anyway. <laughs> it, helping someone else helps me. Yeah. If that makes sense. Like, absolutely. I, I, people will sometimes ask me why I went to the ministry and, you know, I felt God was calling me to it. That was part, obviously part of it. I, people had, suggested it to me in the past and encouraged me to go in that direction. That was part of it. But then there was also a part of me, you know, I wanted to help people. Yeah. <laughs> I know that that makes me sound super spiritual, and I assure you I'm not. I, I struggle with sin greatly. But I did want to help people because there is something about helping other people that it, it does make you feel better, but there's just few few other things in life that just seem so worthy and so valuable than helping somebody. So I think that's partly why is that not only will Elisha then obviously carry on Elijah's ministry and we we won't get deep into that but we'll reference it eventually, but then it also helps Elijah in this present moment to help him get right. out of his funk to re, to remind him that God is working there is a purpose uh, and there is there's good and and work still yet to be done, and this not only prepares that it also prepares Elijah for what God is going to ultimately call and ask him to do even beyond this point. With me, when I think about, you know, the importance of community and just having a friend, I correlate it with um, the power of prayer. If you have someone that prays with you and prays for you, you know, it just makes it even stronger. Mm -hmm. So that's why I believe having community is important and marriage too. Like you have to surround yourself with people that are for your marriage Mm -hmm. and, you know, having friends like that, like-minded Christians that are for your marriage and loves Jesus, it makes a whole lot of difference in your walk with Christ. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. And I think it's it's also noteworthy that um, this, I don't know if you want to call him a, um, in Paul's terms, it would be more like a pastoral protege, you know, with Titus and Timothy and all, but, but for Elijah, the, the one that he put near Elisha, it was for a purpose. It was to carry on something that God started in, well, actually before Elijah, but particular to mm-hmm. Elijah's ministry. He says, look, we're going to carry this on. You're going to, um, I don't, it's not really an order, but you're passing the mantle. I mean, that's something we see in our culture sure. sometimes with 
pastors they pass the mantle on to the yeah. maybe the younger pastor that's going to take over their ministry and, and we kind of see that here but it, it was for a particular purpose it was it wasn't just so i mean those are definitely benefits because you know they encourage him you know bear your burden help you out yep. um all those sort of things um did happen and they were part of the purpose but it was for a particular purpose that he you know that he gave him this helper right so. And I think community is important. And as Pastor Shane mentioned earlier, when you have friends that are surrounding you, they get perspective that you don't get. And they are able to, to help you see things that you wouldn't normally see. And it's one of the reasons we push small groups here. It's one of the reasons we push serving. Um, a lot of our community gets built with people you rub shoulders with every week serving. Yeah. And friendships are born. But those friendships carry us spiritually um, into a deeper place of discipleship and following. And ultimately trying to create a, a culture where people are discipling each other and building not just a friendship, but a discipleship relationship, friendship that helps you grow spiritually and mentally, physically, emotionally. We've been swimming in some pretty deep waters. We're going to take a break and we'll be right back to dive back into another topic. With our deep dive and this story in many ways resembles some other stories that take place in scripture um, a lot of them guys coming off of great success so let's talk about what are some of the examples um, in scripture that you see that have some similarities to this passage well one that was on our show notes that stood out, stood out to me was jonah i knew you were going to come um, in with jonah that's yeah. one of your favorite stories in scripture right? it, it really it's one of my favorite narratives in the old testament i see a lot in jonah Maybe I see things that everybody else doesn't see, or maybe they're just not there. Uh, I don't know. Uh, but I mean, this is almost a mirror image. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, absolutely. not all the context, but the right. actual story. The part. only part that I would differ is I thought Jonah actually did die, but uh, <laughs> at the very least, he wanted to die. Yeah, yeah he sits under a tree and yeah. says, I want to die. Yeah, exactly. After God does a great work. Yeah, But it, Jonah was a little bit grudging about God doing a great work. So. Well, well yeah. that is true. Yeah, yeah. He, he, his, was, he had his problems, no doubt. His was born out of hate for the Ninevites, essentially. Yes. <laughs> that would be one of the areas of, of difference we see here. But when, when Elijah goes to sit up under the tree, like I just can't help but picture Jonah. Oh, sure, yeah. sure. Very similar. Yeah, it, it does very much mirror it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we see something similar to this in the life of Moses. God's been providing manna for the people on the ground every day. They begin to complain because that's what we do. We complain. They said, what about meat? Why can't we have meat? I remember in Egypt we had fish. And Moses gets so frustrated. Um, In Numbers chapter 11, verse 15, he says, If you're going to treat me like this, please kill me right now if I have found favor with you and don't let me see this misery anymore. And so Moses is discouraged. He's depressed. God just, if this is what it's going to be like, kill me. And um, obviously God does not. Basically, if you cared anything for me, just end it now. Yeah. And then Mo, um, Paul also, um, it says he despaired for his life. Second Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8 says, We don't want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, of our affliction that took place in Asia. We were completely overwhelmed beyond our strength so that we even despaired of life itself. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it, this is not an unknown example, an unknown story 
of people being despaired and struggling and uh, many times after great success. I mean, we look at this success that Paul had um, in the scriptures of planting churches and doing great things for God, but it didn't exempt them um, from disparity. It does seem many times in, um, in scripture that hardship and success in a ministry are two sides of the same coin, that they often go, not, not exclusively, but they often go hand in hand. But in our culture today, we often see them as opposites. Like I can't have success in ministry and struggle. Like I can't have success in ministry and have hardship or, or uh, trials or whatever. Like um, success in ministry is the absence of those things. It's, it's many times how we frame success in ministry, um, mm-hmm. yeah. which the Bible doesn't, you know, so often. I don't. I don't know why we do that. Um, well, because we're flawed and sinful. But um, I don't know. There's got to be some some sort of catalyst that makes us, yeah. you know, do that so often that it it's almost a cliche. But me, it made me think of something else. So you know how in our culture we keep wanting more. So after receiving what we asked Christ for, like, oh, okay, God, like maybe I want this promotion. And then you get it. Instead of celebrating after that success, you're already in despair thinking, okay, I need the next step. Yeah, right. So that's where my mind took me. Yeah. Mm. Let me ask you, Pastor Matt and Pastor Shane, this, um, because it's been true for me. Have you experienced this in, in your ministry? Like where there were times of success that, like, I'll say in my ministry here, um, Arizona, when I was doing youth ministry in Homerville, there are always occasional times you feel like throwing the towel in. And sometimes they were after really bad days. Like, yeah. uh, I think back when I was in youth ministry, I come home on a Wednesday night and it was an awful night. And I'm like, man, I just want to throw in the towel. Like, I want to give up. Yeah. That's easy to explain. But sometimes it was after some of the greatest nights. Or sometimes it, in, like in Arizona, after our biggest services, I would come in. Like, Man, I just want to throw the towel in, and I, like I've experienced this in my ministry to where sometimes it's really bad and sometimes it's really great things, but both can lead you to a mental place of just feeling like throwing in the towel, like we mm-hmm. see with these examples here. Have you guys experienced that? No, I mean <laughs> not not after like a high or something great. Sure. Um, I I never even thought that way after a few like discouraging days or events i i had uh in my previous event, i had uh, some discouraging years like it like yeah. it never got good for a few years there um and you know i was i mean i was close to leaving the ministry at, at one point um, during that time but um so so it got really really bad for me and for yeah. my family we were incredibly hurt incredibly discouraged um felt much like I'm reading Elijah kind of felt um, without the actual running for my life. But I mean, I felt like, man, there's like, I feel like I'm the only one, like nobody cares about this ministry, but me, you know, Mm -hmm. that sort of thing. Um, But but yeah, we came close to just like, look, we're done with this. Like I can't handle this anymore. Yeah. I've not experienced a terrible whole lot of success. (laughs) (laughs) So I, I can't relate in that regard. Uh, I have mentioned before in preaching, um, I've had some issues. And when we went into this subject matter, I thought we would discuss mental health more than we have, but we haven't really discussed it a whole lot. I've, I've experienced despair before. Yeah. Uh, I, sometimes being related to mystery and sometimes not being related to mystery. So I and I, I can relate at very least on some level to kind of what these examples kind of point us to. 
but not to the the, the specific uh, question you were presenting to us. But I think all of these examples probably do have one thing in common is that they're probably everyone here is exhausted. Yeah. And this is like the immediate ab- yeah. ab- fruit of just being exhausted. And yeah. look, life in general is exhausting. And I don't want to harp on this too much. But, I mean, ministry is exhausting. There's, that yeah. is a constant thing. Um, we never want to get to the point where it's, woe is me, woe is me. It's so hard being a minister of right. God. Uh, we don't want to go that far. But it is. It is very draining. Sure. Yeah. It's hard sometimes. Um, well, and ministry gets that way and life gets that way. Yeah. Sure. And uh, one of the things I've learned, and I don't experience these kind of things as much as I did early in the ministry because I've learned this principle. I never, like whenever I'm going through one of those moments, I, go, I won't feel this way tomorrow. Or I won't feel this way on Tuesday or Wednesday. Oh, see, I'm the opposite. I'm like, I'm always going to feel this way. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's never getting yeah, better. Well, I've like, learned from experience, you know, um, that it's just... So this have, is you have not learned from experience. Apparently not. <laughs> I, I'm like, this, not. this is a moment of exhaustion, weakness, you know, whatever. And, and you learn to draw from past experience. And so, you know what, I'm not going to feel like this forever. Either good or bad. Either good or bad. And, you yeah. know... Um, the great theologian Kirby Smart says it's never as good as it mm-hmm. looks and it's never as bad as it looks. That's right. And um, that's true spiritually as well, too, when we're struggling. So that's our deep dive for today. We'll be back in just a minute to talk about our takeaways. We are back to wrap up this week of the Wordsmith podcast. What are some of your takeaways from this from this moment of depression and despair on the mountain for Elijah? Well, depression is real. It's very much real and that God can get us out of depression. Mm-hmm. And I really think that, you know, having fellowship and community and friendship will be um, very, very helpful if you are in that dark place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, and... It might be worth taking a moment just to say this. Uh, obviously, none of us here are mental health professionals, but all uh, the three pastors, I guess Katrina hasn't, maybe she has done this. I don't know her, her whole story, but we all have said in the past at some point, some version of this following statement is that, you know, if you are struggling, please reach out to somebody. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, if you need to reach out to us, please reach out to us. Um, if it's an issue bigger than what we can handle, we're not going to cast you aside. We're going to find somebody to help exactly. you out. Um, yeah. So. And there's always a, a stigma about just mental health in general, sure. and yeah. um, uh, Christians who uh, go to therapists and because mm. um, counseling, yeah, th- no. counseling and, and things like that. And here's here's I think it can be a true statement that you can love and trust Jesus and still go to counseling. Like, yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. A, a lot of people think, well, you know, Jesus is the great physician. He is, you know, the greatest counselor. And so if I have Jesus, I don't need a counselor. Not, no, like, that's that's not true yeah. even biblically, you know. Um, did Elijah not have God in these moments, but he still sent someone to help him? So right. um, don't think that, well, if I, if I just have enough faith or if I just trust Jesus enough yeah. that I don't need any kind of counseling. No, sometimes... Sometimes you need help, yeah. you know. Yeah. Well, and as Pastor Matt said earlier, it, we're talking about total body health here, mental, yes. emotional, yes. spiritual. So it's okay. You know, we need physical doctors. Mm-hmm. We need dentists. We need eye doctors. We need 
uh, mental health professionals. We need pastors. We need people on all elements of our spiritual health at times to yeah. help us. For uh, me, the conviction, our total body health. For me, the conviction in this is the schedule rest because I'm I'm so so bad yeah. at actually scheduling rest. And I, every time I say that out loud, I know it's true, and I say, "Well, I'm I'm gonna do better," you know. Then but then I don't. don't. Yeah. I know you're Pastor a working Shane, man. What What do you do on your off days? One word. I, I work. Okay, there um, you go. Woodworking. Huh? Woodworking. Among yeah. Contract for, working. For the, contract yeah, um, work. I work for a general contractor. Do a few little jobs for him here and there. Um, but but I need to. <laughs> and, and I. I'm not going to say that I'm going to try to start scheduling sure. um, rest because I, I don't want to lag, basically. Or not, it's not really like, because I, I actually, in a George Costanza kind of way, yeah. I believe it to be true That's in right. the moment. Like, right. um, yeah. I believe that I will try to schedule rest. But I, I tell you this, uh, we, we talked one time about New Year's resolutions. And mm-hmm. one of my New Year's resolutions was I was going to take three family trips this year, which is... Mm-hmm which is not normal for us. Um, and and when we take our fall break trip, I will have accomplished that. So even though I'm not taking weekly Sabbaths, I am taking those times to just um, just be with family. Um, we did it spring break. We did it during the summer. And we're going to do it during the fall. And normally, in, in our, all, me growing up, and even as I've had children, raising children, we do that summer break and that's it. That's all we do one yeah. week every year. Mm-hmm. So I have done some of those things um, to schedule some rest and some time to connect with family and those sort of things. So, I mean, there's a there's a positive side there, but I, I do absolutely need to get better about scheduling weekly rest. Yeah, it is important. It's crucial. And some pastors, and I don't know exactly how you're wired on this, some pastors can rest on Sundays. Um, the way I'm wired, I can't. Like it's it's an emotional day for me, and so um, it takes even after service, it takes me a while to wind down and to get to a place of rest. But how how are you wired on that? Uh, you pretty much the same way. But I mean, especially like now, you know, if I uh, you're you've got everything going on, even when I'm not preaching, I'm doing something during the service that morning. Um, mm-hmm. So you have that. You have all the things that go on behind the scenes. Uh, you have small groups, right? And then yeah. we have small groups on Sunday night that meet at my house um, or a group that meets at my house. So I, I had to prepare for that in the afternoon. I very, 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 very seldom ever take a nap on Sunday afternoon. I just, yeah, I just can't find the time. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I think if we're going to try to kind of summarize uh, how to apply this passage, I believe this is the, from the Holy spirit. You know why? Because I didn't have to work hard to alliterate it. <laughs> It was so. Can't easy. believe Pastor Matt has an alliteration. Here. It was so easy to alliterate this. It must be from the Holy Spirit. If if we wanted to kind of summarize how to apply this passage to our lives, it's rest, refreshment, removal, removing negative things from us, removing distractions, and then relationship. Those yeah. four things kind of is what we see in this passage: rest, refreshment, like removal, and relationship. Jot that down. That can be a sermon. Yeah, yeah come that's on. true. Come on. But can sermons have four points? Yes. <laughs> it's one of Pastor Matt's pet peeves about three-point sermons. Uh, that's a... we, there's variety. It doesn't always have to be three. You can do could be two. a one-hit wonder. You can do one. I, my home church pastor, I, he would drop seven on us sometimes. He'd always skip one, though. He'd start with seven and, and end up being six. Uh, no, while we were talking to, uh, earlier, I thought of this passage from um, 
Second Corinthians. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, mm-hmm. for my power is made perfect in weakness. And in, because of that, because his power is made perfect in our weakness, therefore I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, <laughs> so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So if you're struggling, if you're feeling weak, uh, that isn't a sign, as kind of Pastor Shane was talking about, that God isn't using you. That's what God uses for his yeah. glory and for His and for our betterment. And so one of the big takeaways is it's okay to be weak. Yeah. It's okay to struggle. Um, just don't struggle alone because mm-hmm. that's what the gospel calls us away from is that isolation. It calls us to community towards each other and ultimately, as Katrina said earlier, towards Christ. It's been another great week of the Wordsmith podcast. No matter how you listen to the Wordsmith, whether it's on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, or almost anywhere the podcasts are played. Thank you for listening to us. Like us, share us, review it. We'll be back next week with week eight of season three, the Wordsmith podcast.